Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats. We ask you to subscribe to our feed. You get new episodes right to you through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. Tune in or go right to NationalReview.com and listen, enjoy, share, and please leave reviews for Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram, my tag team partner, Standing by in a in a house full of illness, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Uh, I have to admit, I'm not feeling very good. I, I'm pretty sick. My, my wife is sick. My baby seems to be doing all right. But my mother-in-law is probably going to get sick, too. And, you know, uh, Mama told me not to come. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like a setup to a song of one of our, uh, our featured artists today. Find Jeff on Twitter at Esoteric CD. And we welcome back for a second appearance on the old program. Uh, a promotion since the last time we talked, I believe. He is uh, now... As I always like to say, Scott, good things happen to those who join us on Political Beats. That's right. You want to climb the corporate ladder, the, the first way to do that is to be a guest here on the old podcast. Uh, he's now the editor-in-chief of the Wall Street Journal, also author of the book The Father and the Son, My Father's Journey into the Monastic Life. Find him on Twitter at Murray Matt, and just flip that to find out he is Matt Murray. Matt, welcome back on to Political Beats. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, really glad to be with you and really excited to talk about this artist today. Absolutely. We hit the artist in a second, but first, we, uh, we've done this once before during our first episode, but a brief refresher for those joining us for the first time. Matt Murray, what's your political beat and how did you get into this world? Well, I came to the Wall Street Journal 25 years ago. I just celebrated my 25th anniversary here. And uh, over the years here, I covered just a lot of different kinds of things and worked my way up through the ranks and all kinds of different editing positions. And I've tangentially and sometimes directly been involved in politics as an editor and reporter throughout. And now in this job, I guess you could say I'm kind of in the crosshairs of every single political wind um, <laughs> imaginable. So uh, so I've, I've, I've kind of been in it. We've been weaving in and out of it for a long time here. And uh, Matt, uh, choosing a, another artist to feature on the old program here. It's Randy Newman, and for some, for some, it might be thought of as uh, you know this uh, the short people guy and the, and the weird uh, uh, a novelty weird artist. Novelty yeah. artist. That's exactly what I'm looking for. But uh, but but so much more than that. We'll we'll dig into it during the program today. Matt takes the floor first, though, to tell us why he loves Randy Newman, how you got into him, and and why other people should care about Randy Newman. Well, you touched on it there, Scott and Jeff, both, which is, you know, some people think of him as a novelty artist. Uh, He does not have the most appealing voice. Sometimes he can be acerbic and cynical. So in some ways, he's reputationally challenged out there. And and I'm here to say, I think we're all here to say that uh, it's it's unfair if people aren't willing to dive in on the artist. You know, I, I got into him first. Actually, I, when I was 11, which is when short people came out and it was a bit of a phenomenon across the country. And I'm sure at 11, I thought short people was kind of a funny song in a way that I don't think now. But what I really remember is my brother saying to me, you know, it's not really about short people.
something else and i and and you know you're at 11 you know you're i'm starting to listen to music and i'm starting to think about different layers and meaning and that's intriguing and that i got into further with randy newman and there's something else going on here and it's interesting and and that sort of started the path of being engaged with him uh, over time and we'll talk about short people because i feel differently about it today but but i think I think what people need to know about him is basically uh, three things, I think, coming into it. One is as a musician, as a songwriter, as a as an artist in the pop era, I don't think there's anybody better than him at song craftsmanship, at musicality, at understanding what makes a song work. Uh, he's a trained musician. He's a natural pop uh, songwriter. He's been doing it since... He was a teenager. He's just, the foundation is so strong. I, I, you know, Paul McCartney or Bob Dylan or whoever you say, I don't think there's anybody better than him at that. And then I think, of course, that's just the foundation because as a writer and as a lyricist, he has an incredibly unique and at its best, incredibly sharp and incisive view of human beings and our lives and a, and a real unique take on us that's very fresh, very insightful, sometimes very acerbic, sometimes cynical. Also, I think uh, very truthful in a way that can be like a great satirist can do at their best, expose realities, sometimes implicate us in what he's saying. And and related to that kind of truthfulness and something I'm really excited to talk a little bit about as we move on is he also, for all the reputation he has as a cynic and as a satirist, has a really kind of... Um, emotional side mm-hmm. that can be very honest and he you know i think as he's gotten older more of that's come out and sometimes been the highlights he can write very direct economical and very precise finely observed detailed really poignant songs that are moving in a way that sort of taps into a direct emotional vein he, he is not a cliche monger he is very economical. He's a very, very precise artist. So some of those early songs particularly are almost like short stories like Sherwood Anderson or something. And, and, and I think he's written some stuff in the popular era of the last 50 years. He, he's written some of the most lasting, impactful, timeless stuff of, of any artist I can think of. Randy Newman is not a novelty artist. Ray Stevens is a novelty artist. Okay. <laughs> the Streak is a novelty song. Um, you know, Rednecks is not a novelty song by any means. And, you know, it's funny. So Matt talked about how his brother explained to him that there was something going on. For my, for me, my introduction to, to Randy Newman wasn't short people at all. I don't, I don't know if I even knew that song existed. It came from my dad. My dad, it was the fountain of, of so many wonderful, uh, you know, musical artists that I ended up loving uh, throughout my life. Uh, he literally, you know, I don't know where we were probably just sitting down in the basement, you know, in his den, you know, just you know, shooting the breeze, talking about music, and for whatever reason, Newman came up as a topic. I didn't really know who he was, and so my dad explained to me, he's like, "Okay, Jeff, okay, I want you to imagine that. Okay, here's a song, and it's a song about slavery, you know." And I'm like, "Okay," and he's like, "Okay, but but, but well, here's the first twist: the song is about slavery from the point of view." 
of the slaver who is <laughs> enslaving these people. I'm like, okay. He's like, okay, second twist. It's done as an ad pitch. He's trying to convince them that slavery is wonderful and that they should go sail away to South Carolina and become slaves. I'm like, okay. And then here's the final twist. All of this grim irony is set to the most beautiful music you have ever heard in your entire life. And that's actually probably the best thumbnail way to describe Sail Away, the song off of his, his, his famous third album uh, that is a masterpiece, maybe one of the greatest songs he ever wrote. Um, and of course, is written. It's, it's one of the darkest things that I had ever heard at the time. And I was young. I must have been 12, 13 years old, but I got it. deeply as I get it now. There are so many layers to it, but it really kind of set me on the right track to understanding who Randy Newman was as an artist and the levels that he worked on, the so many layered levels that he worked on. But the thing about Newman is, is as Matt pointed out, is that if you just reduce him to either these like very dark and bizarre grotesques or you know to cheap snark and uh you know easy jokes you miss something that's really at the core of the man who is a deep emotional sincerity and vulnerability um that willingness to to depict uh the lives of others uh people who who's you know political views and, and life you know experiences he couldn't necessarily relate to uh, he didn't live those lives but he could put himself in in those shoes is kind of one of the more impressive acts of cultural empathy that I've ever seen in music and of course it's set to to me some of the most glorious piano based music i don't know if i would always call it rock in fact it's the funny thing about newman mm -hmm. you know there were a couple of albums sort of in the late 70s early 80s where he takes on a more 80s rock like sheen but for the longest time his his basic milieu was either sort of classical composition or maybe you know blues new orleans barrel house blues and jazz and those sorts of influences he, he the story of, of newman of course for those who don't know he, he's from los angeles his comes from a family of like film composers um and uh his mother's side of the family was from new orleans louisiana so that's where he grew up as a really young kid spent his summers there that's where he he absorbed the influence of people like fats domino and you know that barrel house piano style which he says you know to this day is the thing that that he enjoys the most um but then he moved back to los angeles so here here's you know a los angeles jewish kid who's able to write about some of the weirder, darker, stranger corners of America, and particularly the American South, mm. in a way that, you know, as, a, as an outsider, that nobody has really been able to do since the band. 
And the band, at least, you know, they might have been four-fifths Canadian, but they at least had one <laughs> ringer. You know, they had Levon Helm, you know, to, to keep them grounded at least somewhat in that in that that tradition. Uh, Newman just did it, you know, through a little childhood experience and a vast, vast reservoir of of human empathy and the the willingness and the ability to appreciate the old weird America that very few people have ever done since then. I, you know what? I can't even remember if Grail Marcus wrote about Newman in, in um, mystery train, but, or, uh, he was a big, he was a big, yeah. Yeah. Invisible Republic. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, you know, he's exactly the right choice for that. So like, you know, we'll get to those albums. Um, but I guess the first thing to do and to briefly cover this is that Newman didn't just, you know, come out of nowhere. He is, he was a professional songwriter first. He put his, first song out on the b-side of a single as a as a writer not as a, a performer in 1962 the pre-beatles era before the beatles came to america randy newman was already publishing songs he was a prose pro and he was probably one of the more beloved artists or songwriters uh in both the los angeles scene and in the united kingdom where he consistently would place all sorts of numbers with various artists all the way up through the late 60s and even early 70s before he became known as an artist in his own right um the interesting thing about a lot of these songs, most of which he never returned to, some of which he did, you know, he, he went back and he did. Like Mama Told Me Not to Come, that's from 1967. Mm -hmm. Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear, I think he gave that away to like Alan Price or something like that, mm -hmm. the, the, the keyboardist from The Animals. You know, this stuff all has, a lot of that has its origins in the 60s, but a lot of his best songs, he was writing literally because he knew he was going to be ventriloquizing. He, uh, my favorite one of those early years is uh, I Don't Want to Hear It Anymore, which which is covered by Dusty Springfield um, on Dusty in Memphis, famous version, but also done really well by Scott Walker of the Walker Brothers. And I actually prefer that version, but you know, I'm just a Scott Walker fanboy. Lord, ain't it sad, said the woman across the hall, that when a nice boy like that falls in love, hey, it's just too bad that he had to go and fall. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on this early part of Newman's career. I, you know, to me, I, I, you said it pretty well, Jeff. I think, I think what's funny when you know Randy Newman, the artist later, is you go back and listen to some of these songs through those very 60s arrangements, and they sound a little subversive, like he's sneaking things in, uh, which might be one of the reasons some of the songwriters liked him so much. Uh, there was a famous Judy Collins, I think, in 1966 as well. I'm with you on the Scott Walker, which I like a lot. I like They Tell Me It's Summer from the Fleetwoods. I don't know if that's a song he never returned to, but 
It's it's great. I it's I think Mama told me. I think the Eric Burden Mama told me not to come is hilarious. Given who, given where Eric Burden was at that time, <laughs> this, is, this is during Eric Eric Burden, who was the lead singer formerly of the Animals. This is during his like flower power psychedelic phase. Yeah, we actually have an Eric Burden album on the wall of our apartment, not because it's any good, but because it's just like so trippy that it actually looks good as wall decoration. That's the that's the place he was in at the time. And yeah, and and the other one because you mentioned him early because it's an influence and for for young reading you almost doing great to have this happen is is Fats Domino doing Have You Seen My Baby I think yeah. in '68 or '69, and you know just. The, the the album to get on this is called On Vine Street, and there's a new new version that just came out with his covers. But I think it, what it speaks to again, and going to you know the, sometimes the perceived narrowness of this artist is there is a wide wide range of different kinds of artists from very conventional mainstream artists and the OJ's to the Scott Walkers to Fats Domino. They all went for Randy Newman songs in different ways, which which speaks to some of the song craft and wide appeal he could tap into it, it it's 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 pretty remarkable when you go back and listen to all those different covers as he said throughout his life he's a professional songwriter and he takes pride in being a professional songwriter he doesn't at all mind like taking an order and writing to order but which is by the way like why you've got a friend you know the toy story <laughs> song he's like he's really proud of that and like there's no subtext to that that's not like supposed to be secretly dark no he's like they asked me to write a really loving song about a child and his toy and i was like okay there you go here's what you here's what i got for you and I'm like that's great and take it at face value he doesn't mind that he can write in most any mode he chooses to it's only when he decides to speak in his own voice mm-hmm. that things get a little weird <laughs> scott i'm sorry yeah some of these songs would be revisited by newman himself um uh have you have you seen my baby he, he talked about uh fats domino doing it and said you know he was basically doing fats domino on the song so then fats does it and it's fats domino doing an impression to randy newman doing an impression to fats domino um i i i I wanted to mention here quickly i'm new to most of newman's work coming into this episode I, i i was aware he's not a novelty artist i knew a lot of the story but one of those artists that i had never committed myself to investigating the entire catalog so that's one of the reasons of course i love the show is it gives me a reason and an excuse to do so and um you know reading through some of the songs and and hearing how well he's respected i i i have always kind of connected even before this week and not necessarily in terms of the songwriting itself meaning the way that the songs are written but uh randy newman i connect with with john hyatt a lot because hyatt in his own way is a guy a with a, a voice that Many, many people might say is a little, little weird and a little off, a little hard to get used to, uh, but a guy who is a, a, an absolutely amazing songwriter, if you've heard John Hyatt stuff. And um, people love him. You know, people, musicians love him. They love covering his work. They love covering his stuff. He's extremely well regarded, as Newman is, of course. And, and both those guys are still putting out really good music, even in their uh, advanced age. I mean, Newman is, what, 75? I think at this point, 74, 75, uh, Dark Matter's most recent work is still very, very good. John Hyatt's most recent work is still very, very good. So I, I kind of connected them in my mind, and I, I have been a John Hyatt fan for quite a long time, and I've been through his his work, and so this is a great reason for me to uh, to jump in and get into Randy Newman's stuff. 
So, I mean, I guess that brings us to the first album, and I'll let Matt take this one first, but you know, just as, as a brief explanation, he'd been writing songs for at least six years before he decided to record something on his own, and the only real reason he was ever actually able to do it is because his best friend in high school, a guy named Lenny Waronker, uh, would actually end up getting a gig as an A&R guy from Warner Brothers Records. And then, you know, Waronker is, is actually a very well-regarded figure in the, the, the record industry as a guy who sort of helped Warner Brothers cultivate an image of being a really artist-friendly label where they let you do the strange things that you want to do and of course one of the reasons he got that reputation is his backing of randy newman whose albums didn't really have a lot of chart success not until little (laughs) criminals in 1977 and in fact this first album apparently sold so poorly that warner brothers actually offered people who bought it a refund saying you can exchange it for another warner brothers album if you like that first album is just the self-titled album randy newman 1968 uh it's a weird one i happen to like it a lot um i like it more now when i come back to it than i did when i first absorbed it as a teenager but uh before i get into my thoughts on it and and it's sort of sort of van dyke's van dyke parks uh, driven orchestral approach to things i was wondering if matt what did you think about it? yeah i mean you, you, it, it's very orchestral and we're what 15 years before imperial bedroom um <laughs> it's uh it, 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 he won he has said when he looks back on it i think that it's as if it, it's as if he wrote an album that had never heard of the rolling stones in 1968 but uh and and sometimes the the orchestration is too much um you know, uh, but the songs are there. The songs are very clear, and I particularly think that they, the the back end is is great. I think Cowboy is a great song, although I prefer the simpler arrangement on his live album. Um, the Beehive State is great. He, he right out of the gate, he does have his own skewed, weird uh, take on the world that works very well. Um, I think he's got he's got a few songs on here that are sort of sad love songs that can that are very young, <laughs> a little maudlin. But the one I think that really stands out and really sets the pace um, well is the last one, which is "David the Fat Boy," which is a a really remarkable song and it's also twisted it's about uh, it sounds like it's going to be it starts off it's the narr- by the way this gets into these very dark narrators that he particularly earlier he, later he kind of adopts more first person but earlier he really speaks through narrators and here's this narrator singing about this friend of his and the parents asked him to look after the friend and it turns out of course it's davy the fat boy and he's in a sideshow in the circus and it's Oh, the, the, even the fat boy isn't he round? Yeah. Isn't he round? Just <laughs> and, and it's it, it's a, it, what's great is everything works together. You know, the music there, the music really supports it because early on it sounds carnivalesque before you even know what's going on. Um, and it, it, you know, nobody, I can't think of anybody writing songs like Davy the Fat Boy at that time. And I, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. It's dark. It's a little disturbing. It's weird. It's also musically really interesting. Davy the Fat Boy. Davy the Fat Boy. Isn't he round? Isn't he round? What do we weigh, folks? Can you guess what it weighs? You know it's only a quarter. With a teddy bear for the girlfriend, a sock for white, 
And it comes after this run, I, uh, Cowboy, I, I really, like I said, I like. I think the Beehive State is, is hilarious. I love the music on that. And, and also, which you know, one of his biggest, probably uh, a big early Newman standard, I think it's going to rain today, mm-hmm. uh, with that beautiful piano. Um, and also a little interesting ambivalence about the narrator and what the narrator's circumstances are. And, you know, I was in... Um, it, and that's just that, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up. But it's interesting about that. I was in a restaurant in San Francisco last week having dinner, and there was a pianist, and he was playing sort of all the classics of as time goes by and other stuff. And I and I recognized suddenly he was playing this song. I think it's going to rain today, which is this very soft. This is one of the songs that sets the tone for that sort of more emotional side of Randy Newman. Um, and you know, I think, I, and I just thought to myself because I knew we were going to do this. Here's a guy who's like coming out of the gate writing songs that sound like standards, like timeless standards that fit right in. Um, so I, I think the album. I don't think it's. I don't think he's there. His voice is a little tentative in some of the songs. He's he's clearly a little bit shy. Uh, uh, some of the orchestration works. Some doesn't. But everything that that characterizes his unique songwriting and kind of skewed view is there right out of the gate. I think this album, you know, has problems with its production, not even so much Randy Newman's voice, but with its production. And I choose to blame Van Dyke Parks because I don't like Van Dyke Parks and I never have. <laughs> um, you know, I, yeah, you know, even on Smile, I think some of those lyrics get a little bit weird. But, uh, you know, some of the, the booming or like, you know, un, a love story, which is actually a really funny song. It's, you know, <laughs> classic way to open Randy Newman's career with a twist. It's a love story. You and me, you and me will have a kid. Well, maybe we'll rent one. He's going to be straight we don't want a bent one you know you know really you know kind of like you know funny jokes of course and then it ends like when when our kids are grown with kids of our own they're going to send us away to like a a nursing home in florida and we'll just play checkers all day until we die (laughs) it's like like your kids are just going to port you off and forget about you and and also you you think about who is the woman he's singing the song to and i know (laughs) what a romantic appeal you've made Maybe we'll rent one It's got to be strange We don't want a bent one He'll drink his baby blue From a big brass cup Someday it may be president If things loosen up but of course, then on the other side, there is, I think it's going to rain today, which I think is just, you know, that that moment where I keep looking for the subtext on that song and it's not there. It's just like almost painfully vulnerable. 
you know, broken windows and empty hallways. What's it like that? You know, the pale dead moon in the sky streak with gray. The human kindness of the world is overflowing. But I think it's going to rain today. You know, obviously depressed, uh, broken hearted. It's never really explained. You know, uh, you know, there's that part where he's like, you know, I'll kick a tin can down the street. That's the way to treat yeah. a friend. That, you know, hints at what's going on in the, in the narrator's heart. But uh, it doesn't seem like in any way like a put on or like, you know, a bitter joke or, you know, something where the message is supposed to be subverted it's just kind of open and it kind of feels like it came from a really wounded part of his you know his his psyche right before me me help me show them I, uh, I think Matt really nailed a lot of the, uh, um, I don't say issues, but, but you know, it's not a, it's not a classic uh, album. There's a lot of orchestration. I, I, the voice is still shaky. He's still figuring the, the things out. Um, you know, there, there's 75 people who played on this album. I actually counted 75 people, including Carol Kay, who played some, some bass on, on this record. Um, and, and there's a lot of accompaniment to these songs. I think it gets in the way. Um, Laughing Boy and uh, Despite Matt's Love, I think Cowboy is not helped by the way it's sort of accompanied by, by some of the instruments on the record. Um, yeah, have you, Scott, have you heard the uh, – did you listen to the live album? Because I did, did not. Go Listen to the piano. It's really good. Because yeah. that, that song really needs the simplicity of him and the piano. And it's uh, it's it has room, and it's so much better. Because I, I do agree with you, the, the orchestration steps on it here. Yeah, yeah, and there's a few places, two other places where that happens. But there's good things, and, and I think it's going to rain today is one of them. I like that no one ever ha- hurt this bad, which to me is like this Kinks-esque, uh, l- like loping guitar melody to it that I like a lot. And the other one I want to highlight very quickly is, uh, is Linda. I like uh, Linda, uh, this, this sort of play in one act, um, which Newman would 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 get very very good at. Um, this is sort of carousel playing in the background, merry-go-round song, uh, merry-go-round mention, and it's a uh, it's a guy who's who stood up on the pier with a carnival nearby, essentially, and, and the girl never shows up, and it's it's a little bit of heartbreak, of course, uh, because the girl doesn't show up. The girl being Linda, of course, um, and and so I, I I like the way that that one plays out, and I think actually that one's one of the better. Uh, songs in the album in terms of how it's how it's sort of supported by everything going on around it. And I There are still some very shaky parts here, and, and, and certainly he's still trying to figure out, I think, how to how to best translate his writing and his 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 mood themes to record. I think the the one place where the, the over orchestration actually works is on "Living Without You," 
mm-hmm. which is a song that doesn't often get talked about. It's a straight up love song. Again, no subtext here. You know, he could have written it to be a pop hit for somebody else, but he decided to record it himself. And it's just this shimmering. Again, sounds like Scott Walker. What Scott Walker was doing at the same time over in England in like 1968, 69. Um, this shimmering orchestral and piano based accompaniment that really works. You know, in the context of a rather straight ahead love lyric. But of course, none of this, you know, is is a patch on what comes next. And I, mean, I think maybe Scott disagrees with me here, but I think that what comes next is not only, you know, close to Randy Newman's best album, but one of the best albums released in the entire 1970s. And it's a beautifully simple title. It's just called 12 Songs, released in 1970. And that's what it is. 12 songs, 11 originals, and one uh, highly racist cover uh, (laughs) intentionally chosen for the racism to subvert it. Uh, 12 Songs is a masterpiece. I don't think there's a bad thing on this record. I don't think there's anything about this record that I would change. Uh, I still don't think it's his best record, though, which tells you something about how highly I rate Randy Newman. Mm. I I think it's his weirdest record, for one thing. I I think when you think about sort of oddballs and losers and and other people he writes about, this is a collection of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And every song takes you through them. I mean, let's burn down the cornfield where you've got this kind of ominous sinister tone uh and 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 an arsonist enticing you know i guess his girlfriend or a woman to help him burn down the cornfield and they'll make a love uh mama told me not to come which we've talked about which been hanging out there for a while but of course is you know about somebody finding themselves at a party and getting increasingly uncomfortable at the weirdness of it i, I think jeff you were talking about suzanne which uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> is like, uh, which is about a stalker you, you you could talk about it uh, more, but I just want to make one point on Suzanne, which is I love that he wrote it in response to Leonard Cohen's Suzanne, right? <laughs> like, which is like a classic, like arty, overdone, magical pixie in the village kind of romantic song. And Randy Newman writes a song about. A I saw song. your name on the bathroom wall. <laughs> or, or it was a telephone booth, right? And then I just started following you in the shadows. <laughs> It's just it's it's the, the the motivation is hilarious, and that it just tells you something about how his darkness is there, and sometimes undercuts these artsy cliches that others lean on. It's worth saying it's a. It, unlike the orchestration, this is a very rock-oriented one. Ry Cooter is very prominent in this with the slide guitar, and there's a, he's still trying out lots of different styles of songs. We 
at whisk with your water, sugar with your tea. What are these crazy questions that they're asking of me? This is the wildest party that they ever could be. Well, don't turn on the light, cause I don't want to see. Mama told me not to come. Mama told me not to come. Mama said it ain't a way to have fun. And you can feel that all over it. So he's growing into it. He's growing his voice. Um, so I like those ones I mentioned. I'm a big fan of my old Kentucky home, mm. which has also been out there, which I oh, think yeah. almost sounds like a slight band or John yes, Prine band. kind of purity a little bit. Yep. I like Uncle Bob's Midnight Blues a lot. Uh, and I'll mention one more. And then, I'll, and then you, you, oh, well, two more, because I think Lover's Prayer is great and has that funny line, you know, those funny lines about, Somebody who doesn't really want the special girl. Don't send me nobody with glasses. Don't want oh, no. Oh, yeah, oh, no, no, no. Like, you know, she started to talk to me about the war. Lord, I said, I don't want to talk about the war. Yeah, it's crazy. And of course, probably the greatest uh, ode anyone has ever written to a girl sucked up by a beach cleaning machine. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> sorry. Lucinda. I'm sorry for laughing. You sin, you sin, you sin. Got to run away. That big white truck is closing. We get wounded if we stay. Jeff, I know you love this album. You probably love this album more than, than than either of us do. But what is great about the album is the variety of different song styles and the bizarreness of it. You can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's worth noting that just like the first album, this is like, what, 30 minutes, 32 minutes? Yep. Oh, it's, it's just, it gets in, it gets out. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the old weird America, the time where it first comes in. I mean, you've got, you've got, you know, Randy Newman's obsession with the South, not the South, South, but the deep South, the messed up South. You know, let's burn down the cornfield and make love as it burns. Or like, you know, that stalker, you know, probably in, you know, like Birmingham or something like that, you know, you know, underneath. Oh, and geez, you know, this is, I guess, the point where we have to have a discussion about ironic racism. Yeah. All right, because this is something that Newman is really going to to lean on, I think, brilliantly and heavily. But of course, in these days, you know, imagine if, you know, a modern artist recorded underneath the Harlem Moon, <laughs> which which Newman did as a deliberate, um, you know, commentary on like the racist language of the song, where it's like, you know, what is like all, all the happy darkies, basically, you know, like you, something else about that song. I was thinking when I was listening to it again too, which is which in some ways it's the prettiest song on the album. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, one thing that I think he's aware of because he's such a talented musician is the manipulative, the manipulability of beautiful music to completely and, uh, yeah, and you're, horrible, you're like a horrible right? lyric, right? And, and because it's a beautiful song and you're listening and, and you can, you get pulled along and then you're, wait a minute, what are they? It's, 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 and then you hear him singing, they, you hear him singing the lines. They just live for dancing. Yeah. They're never blue or forlorn. Ain't no sin to laugh or grin. That's why darkies were born. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's just like, 
eh, wait, what's going, what's going on here? And of course, you immediately get that he's in on it because he follows it right up with the song Yellow Man, which right. is yeah. you know, on the live album. He actually explains it like this is a pinhead's view of what China is like. You know, this doesn't understand you know any foreign cultures or anything like them. And so he's exploring these sorts of character sketches of people who, you know, you know are, are racist and don't even understand, don't even understand their cultural and racial attitudes. But man, it's fraught territory. It's only going to get even more fraught as we move along. But you know, beside that, the rest of this album, I just there's you know, Suzanne, as as Matt said, is just the best part of Suzanne to me is the way that this really dissonant, creepy organ just starts like insinuating its way into the song halfway through and it's hitting all the wrong notes it's hitting these discordant notes and so then you realize well this isn't a love song this is this is something a lot weirder and a lot darker and it like it gets really spooky and then you know there are the lines we what's it like you know and then i'll jump from the shadows try to catch your eye gonna run my fingers through your hair and love you everywhere oh my god what am i listening to that's that's the Randy Newman at his best on this album is where he gets you ensconced in a song and a mood and a vibe and then suddenly halfway through you have that 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 realization that moment of horror where you realize this is not what i thought this song was out about <laughs> at all and it's, it's uh, almost like he, he there is a lot that makes you think what is popular music what are you singing am i implicated you know he's he, he, he's really thinking about those things a lot on this record yeah i mean even my old kentucky home like that's obviously he's you know after all these songs about weird southern you know like vibes that you hear on this album let's burn down the cornfield you know under you know have you seen my baby uh but old kentucky home that's just a straight rip off of stephen foster the song is not the same as stephen foster's my old kentucky home but obviously he's intending you to make that association anyways i just think this is a fantastic album this is where you got to start with randy newman and you know if you're in the mood for something that's really going to subvert every expectation that you had coming in these songs are endlessly rewarding scott the one of the best things uh, from the first album to this album, I think, is the change. Um, it, 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 if everything on the first album or many things on the first album were kind of overproduced and 75 musicians, there is so much subtlety on this record uh, of little things you kind of have to pay attention to to realize what he's doing. Uh, he's not afraid to let the songs speak for themselves. He's not afraid to put the vocals a little further up front. He's not afraid to kind of whisper or underplay the delivery of some of the lyrics on 12 songs. That's one great thing. Ry Cooter is another great thing. I love his guitar playing on virtually anything, and he's great here on 12 songs. Uh, Let's Burn Down the Cornfield. He makes that song. It is just so slow and um, and just kind of underselling the, the greatness of actually how, how how wonderful that song is. It's not in your face like the like the strings and stuff from uh, from the first album. It just lets itself sort of play out. Boy, it's so good on a cold night to hell. Out of danger, till I return. 
And then I think it's its companion on the second side is Rosemary. Uh, very similar mood, very similar vibe, very confident uh, in its in its songwriting, very confident in, in the way it's been it's been put together. Um, and there's some wonderful horns on Rosemary too. It just sort of lifted up in in the second half of the song. Um, I, I do really like Lucinda, which Matt mentioned the song about a girl who's sucked up by a beach uh, combing machine. Uh, just a slow. Hey, listen, these things burn. happen, man. I'm I, I, you know, someone's got to chronicle those things. I guess is, is how it turns out. Um, and have you seen my baby? Which you've already mentioned once. I mean, Randy Newman's version is really great. New Orleans style kind of rocker, Fats Domino influence certainly. And again, those 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 wonderful kind of subtle horns here and there and have you seen my baby i love the way it plays out um you know Je- i i don't like this i think as much as jeff does but here's here's a point and 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 really this goes all the way up into the, to the present day there's not a bad randy newman album eh, maybe eh, one is, is a little tougher two to or tougher to get into if you try to pick that one up first but almost all of them have their winning moments and really spectacular moments and so we're almost grading on a curve here uh because mm. Everything is is so good. I mean, literally everything up into the present day is great. And so, twelve songs I'm saying is 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 not my favorite, and it, I don't think it's as good as what would come in, in the next couple of albums. It's still very very good. I just think he puts things together even even further and, and becomes Randy Newman on Sail Away, the next album. Well, so even if we're grading on a curve, I think all of us agree that what comes next, yes, Sail Away, 1972, 73, um, is an A-plus album. Um, I already spoke at the beginning of this show about the title track, Sail Away, which, um, I, you know, I've since I've said my at least partially my piece on it, I'd like to let other people talk about it. Uh, but I just think it's one of the most dark, brilliant, painfully beautiful and in, in brilliantly subversive songs ever written about like the, the true American experience, the American founding experience, sort of the lies, even though this never happened, you know, the, the, the slavery was not a, a job of like, you know, the, the guy on the beach convincing, you know, Africans to sort of like voluntarily serve themselves up into bondage, obviously not, but it, it sort of subverts the sort of, you know, the, 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 the trite, happy mythology of America, of the land of the free and the home of the brave uh, by putting this almost patriotic sounding music to to these lyrics in America you get food to eat won't have to run through the jungle and scuff up your feet you just sing about Jesus and drink wine all day it's great to be an American Ain't no lion or tiger, ain't no mama snake Just a sweet watermelon in the buckwheat cake Everybody is as happy as a man can be Climb aboard little walk, sail away with me Sail away but it's not just it's not just sail away. Every other song on this album is uh, a masterpiece. I mean, the close, you know, Simon Smith and the Amazing Dancing Bear. It's kind of a fun song. I don't know if it's a masterpiece. It was a hit single in Britain in the 1960s of all things. But uh, 
this is the album that has the song about the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. This is the album that has, you know, Randy Newman saying, you know, all these other countries don't love us, so let's drop the big one now. This is the <laughs> album where Randy Newman tells his lady, uh, said, you know, take your dress off, take your shoes off, but you can leave your hat on. This is an album that is full of epic moments. I love Sail Away, and I know that you guys do too. Yeah, it's um, uh, um, you know, right from Sail Away, which which Jeff had talked a lot about earlier. Lonely at the top, the second song is is it, I don't want to say it's a breakthrough, but man, does it sound great! Apparently, written originally for Sinatra, uh, and Sinatra passed, and so it's a yeah, he, he played it for Sinatra, and and I now think of Sinatra always as Phil Hartman Sinatra. Yeah, so I just love to think of Sinatra hearing this song and going, "What is this crap?" And <laughs> but you know, something listening to Lonely at the top. It could fit on any of his most recent albums um, in terms of tone, in terms of... He, he kind of leans into that New Orleans sound on some of the more recent stuff, and Lonely, Lonely at the Top does, too. But it still sounds fresh. I mean, it still sounds like a a, a, a Randy Newman song. Even these years and years later, it's fantastic. I've been around the world Had my pick of any girl You'd think I'd be happy But I'm not Everybody knows my name But it's just a crazy game Oh, it's lonely at the top Political science, which which Jeff mentioned, is you know this great satire of, of of foreign policy. Let's drop the big one, and there'll be no one left to blame us. Except we're going to save Australia because we don't want the kangaroos to suffer. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we give them money, but are they grateful? No, they're spiteful and they're hateful. I mean, these are things we we hear today, even too. And political science is is a, is a great melody to go along with it too. But what I love is that you know they don't respect us, so let's surprise them. Yeah. <laughs> we'll drop the big one and pull. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so over the top jingoistic that you gotta laugh. It's the, <laughs> boom goes London. Boom Paris. Yes. It's uh, probably his funniest song. It's probably his funniest song. Yeah. Uh, Burn on, and it might be because I'm a huge fan of Major League, the the film, which Burn on is. It, it opens. Uh, but man, I've always adored Burn on. As Jeff mentioned, the story of the uh, the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland catching on fire, which uh, is not as rare as uh, as as you might think it was back in the day, and it did catch fire uh, what in 68 which is around when the you know the, the memory of what newman sparked to write this song uh i love that last stanza that the lord can make you tumble the lord can make you turn the lord can make you overflow but the lord can't make you burn <laughs> and that sort of double meaning of cleveland city of lights with the with the river on fire and the way that that song grows from the simple, you know, barely there beginning to include that orchestration and, and that it slows at the end once again to, to deliver those final lines. Burn On is, is I think, my favorite song on, on Sail Away. Now the Lord can make you tumble. The Lord can make you turn. The Lord can make you overflow. Lord can make you burn Burn on big river Burn on Burn on big river Burn on 
you can leave your hat on. I already mentioned God Song, the last one, is one that I picked up on really the second or third time I was going through the album. Um, and I, I know Jeff wants to, I don't want to steal his thunder. Jeff wants to mention kind of Randy Newman's um, relationship, or lack thereof, or understanding of, of a deity or a God. But, you know, in this one, um, you know, God is doing these cruel, awful things, taking your children away from you and, and laughing from, from up in heaven as you pray, and, but still you believe, and how blessed are we? It's, uh, it's this very twisted sort of delivery on the relationship between, uh, between God and, and his people. And, and that's, the, that's the way the song, that's the way the album closes. Um, there's so much in between the, the, the slavery song, Sail Away, and the, and the song, about, uh, a song about God to close things off. It's really fantastic. Yeah, you guys said you guys said a lot pretty well. So I, I'll just add a couple things. And, and Scott, you touched on it, but I, I think this is the album that where everything he was doing in the first two and everything that worked really comes together. There, there's orchestration, but there's also rock. It, it blends together very well, and the, the the tonal variety and the material variety among the songs is so broad, so rich. There's cynicism, there's beauty, there's sweetness, there's a certain level of brutality, there's weirdness, like in Last Night I Had a Dream. Mm-hmm. And you touched you touched on them. You know, a great example for me of, of the musicality comes in Sail Away, which is, again, a, a simple song, but profound. It's those strings that come in during the verses that are beautiful, but are kind of sound like they're hinting that something's a little off here. There's something not right. And then they give way to this kind of beautiful Copeland-esque <laughs> chorus. <laughs> the way the way he uses the music supporting the songs is 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 brilliant. Uh, you hit on a lot of them. I just want to mention. I think one of the things that comes starts to come out here is he, he, he's a he's really interested in families and mm-hmm. how families relate. And he had the one earlier song, but "Old Man" is a kind of a brutal song uh, with his bitter son at his father's deathbed and then and then the other side you've got memo to my son which is sort of a a sweet song but about a slightly clueless dad you know in, interacting with his, his his baby i think what uh, the thing i and i said at the beginning i think the thing that that stands out on every single song wherever they're at here is he's really pushing the lyric writing to be honest to to, yes. to to not leave anything behind but to say it. so when i hear political science part of the way i think about that song is it's a, it's a funny song and it's a parody but it's kind of expressing a thought that every american just about deep down inside even maybe only one <laughs> percent of you has had it some time or another which is just oh screw it i'm tired of this and time and again, he really goes there on these songs. Boom goes London, boom Perry. More room for you and more room for me. In every city, the whole world round, will just be another American town. Oh, how peaceful it will be. We set everybody free. You wear a Japanese and you said it scott you know and this isn't always true even of some of the later stuff this record is 45 years old and there it sounds like it could be out today there is nothing here 
in terms of the topics, in terms of the insights, in terms of the performances. There is absolutely nothing here that sounds dated at all, which is not something I can say about lots and lots of music from 1972 that I love. It's really, it's there's a timelessness here that is really remarkable. I, I know I said this to you guys earlier, like when, when we were doing our pregame stuff on email, uh, but I've sung memo to my son, to my little newborn kid, Julian, about, you know, a hundred times <laughs> between you know, the day he was born and right now, this present day. It's so honest and it's exactly how a dad feels. You know, there's that great line. It's like, I know you don't think much of me, but someday you'll understand. Wait till you learn how to talk, baby, and then I'll show you how smart I am. That's exactly how I feel. Because like, he's got not impressed with me in any way. Nine and a half months old. I know you don't think much of me. Someday you'll understand. Will you learn how to talk, baby? I'll show you how smart I am. I'll show you how smart I am. so cute it's so honest and it's so fearless is what it is all yeah. of these songs are fearless as you said matt it was a great great observation that he is completely unafraid to go there and to like say those things that people think they really actually do have thought they're ashamed of thinking but you know deep down that we can all understand like people have those impulses and he goes there and he expresses them and he does it as an outsider and by God, that is no better way to transition from <laughs> Sail Away to the next album, which, you know, Sail Away, A-plus album. Well, what if Randy Newman actually put out an A-plus-plus album? And I think we all agree that might be what we have in Good Old Boys. This is his follow-up, 1974, um, a, a conceptual album for the first time in his career, very explicitly about the South and about Southerners and, and also about how Southerners feel they're viewed by you know outsiders and how they view themselves and the weird hijinks they get up to. It begins with a song that I almost despair of trying to discuss <laughs> in 2019, which yeah. is also one of the best songs that he's ever written. It's called Rednecks. And it begins with maybe my single favorite lyric of all time, Randy Newman lyric of all time. Last night I saw Lester Maddox on a TV show With some smart-ass New York Jew And the Jew laughed at Lester Maddox And the audience laughed at Lester Maddox too Well, he may be a fool, but he's our fool And if they think they're better than him, they're wrong so I went to the park and I took some paper along And that's where I made this song And what is the song he writes? Well, hey, you know, one of you guys want to help me out with this? <laughs> 
Well, uh, it, it basically... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I threw a grenade into your lap, Matt. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. Uh, uh, no, uh, look, he, he it's it's a it's a it's it's like a southerner complaining about and parodying how he thinks the northerners view the southerners and taking pride in some of those things in response to that at the same time. And he does use the N-word liberally. Uh, the uh, phrase it is literally in every chorus, they're keeping the N-words down. Yeah. What's, wow. what, I think, what, what I think is, I'll, what's amazing about that song, uh, along with that, though, is the way it unfolds and turns around at the end. Mm-hmm. First, it's, you know, the anger at, the, I think it was the Dick Cavett show and this interview. And, and Dick Cavett show was, you know, seen as sort of like an ultra-liberal talk show in the 70s at that time. Turns it back on themselves in the South and then goes after all the northern neighborhoods that in those days were known for, you know, race riots and their own segregationist challenges. Mm-hmm. Turns it back on the North. By the end of that song, nobody is uh, left standing. Everybody, everybody's everybody and on the floor. Remember what you said at the beginning of the show about how his satire was so sharp that it left every single person implicated. Like that was what I think the brilliance of Rednecks truly is, is that yep. everybody is offended by the end of it. And everybody sort of realizes deep down that, oh, God, he's got a point. <laughs> it's just like nobody gets away. Nobody gets away with their with their uh, the haughtiness intact. And the way in the second half that it fall uh, it doesn't fall apart, but the, 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 uh, the vocals come off track. I mean, they're off beat because he's so passionate and um and um it just wants to stick it to the northerners so badly that 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 rant kind of just totally falls off melody off, off beat yeah in the in the south side of chicago and the west side he's got yeah. to point out yeah. but he's got the geography right by the way you know, it is south Louis. and the west yeah. side yeah. <laughs> but this is an- by the by the way uh, one other thing that we didn't mention but is worth mentioning this one too is it's a brilliantly arranged musically yeah. oh my god yeah. these offensive things and then he steps back and there's almost like this kind of like scott joplin rag it's this little <laughs> scott joplin rag type thing you do 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 and then he goes back to like he, these horrible racial slurs and just... <laughs> This is the first song he wrote for the album, apparently. So he wrote this song. He thought, oh, this is brilliant. And then he started getting really invested in, like, this character, the idea of this kind of a person. And he, he said in interviews that, like, you know, where does the rest of Good Old Boys come from? It comes from the fact that he felt like he had to write the rest of this album, you know, to, 
you know, to give that guy a fair shake. It's like, why does this guy say the things he thinks and thinks the things that he thinks? Um, you know, because here's the rest of the story. And so, you know, on the flip side of this out, this, this opens side one. And then, of course, on side two, you get a song like Louisiana 1927, which I, I'm not going to talk about now, but I think is the inverse of Rednecks. And I think is just, just uh, maybe a, a truly glorious song. But before I get into, you know, that, I wanted to know if you guys, Scott, you, what are your thoughts on this record? The- this is a this is really a monumental achievement of a, of a record <laughs> on, on on many many levels, uh, for, from the from pulling that concept through from start to finish, uh, from writing about uh, you know the, the South and the way he does, uh, <coughs> taking you know the farcical notes uh, and, and turning them around with genius you know one liners the uh, the unreliable narrator which is such a feature of Newman's writing who to believe and when to believe them and what's the song really about is it about what he's saying or what we think he should be. All of these questions are all around this album. Um, there are so many highlights. And I, Jeff wants to talk a lot about Louisiana 1927, which I'll allow him to. But that Louisiana suite of three songs is such a cornerstone of this record. Louisiana 1927, which uh, talks about the, the flood of 27, uh, perhaps in a metaphorical way. I'll, I'll let Jeff explain. But that's that's a fantastic. It goes into an actual song written by Huey Long called Every Man a King, uh, only about 60 seconds or so. And then I, I, well, a song I love, Kingfish. It's just a fantastic song. Kingfish, um, you know, it, it was uh, Huey, Huey Long's you know nickname, the Kingfish. And um, essentially, it's like a campaign rally as song. Uh, all these things that that he did, and who took the Standard Oil men and whooped their ass just like he promised. By the way, do. absolutely historically accurate. Yeah. He, he he gets long right, you know, especially like you know the, the the dislike of Northern Louisianans for the Southerners and the Frenchmen, <laughs> like all that all that stuff is straight on point in it's, terms of and, 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 and the general like the political way, uh, populist politicians, the bragging, the yes. self regard, the winding people up, the achievements. It's very hard to get politics right in songs, especially without sounding kind of preachy wherever you mm. stand. He really, he really nails that. And, and almost like rednecks, this the song gets bigger and bigger as as he brags. Right, it, it, it all becomes like this braggadocious sort of thing. The music matches uh, the lyrics. The further and further in you go. Who took on the standard old men and whipped ass? I love that uh, that that little suite of songs. Birmingham, which is the second song on the record, is an intro to this this character's family and home life. Nothing really happens here, right? It's just description. It's working class Alabama, um, and, and, and everything that goes with it. You know, when you mention Birmingham in this in the in the reference or in the context of good old boys, you have to think about other things that are that have happened in Birmingham. The Bull Connor and uh, the Baptist Street Church bombing. All those right. things get wrapped up into what he's trying to do on this record. Mr. President had pity on the working well, man. Can I, can I, can I, yep. can, can I say one thing over that? Which I do. I, I love in Birmingham that little thing got a big, a big black dog and his name is Dan. He yeah. lives in my backyard in Birmingham. He's the meanest dog in Alabama. Get him, Dan. Get him, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard a song playing the mean guy with the angry dog in his backyard. Yeah. I'm literally sicking him onto Sabrina. <laughs> oh, and it's, but it's so perfect. And it, it is also genial. Like, thing is, Birmingham doesn't actually come across as, like, you know, some sort of snarky parody. It sounds like no. there are a lot of people live in Birmingham who like that song. It. Yep. Yeah. Sorry, this guy you off, Scott. And then uh, one more back of my feet again toward the toward the back of the album. Uh, Ry Cooter's on here, so I automatically like it. But it's uh, it, my, it's a conversation between a, like a mental patient and a psychiatrist, right? Um, uh, back of my feet again, and and and, and this, this sort of farcical, not farcical, but fanciful things, almost almost like a dream like quality of some of the stories he's telling. But the end is is like heartbreaking, right, Doctor Doctor. What do you say? How about letting me out today? Ain't no reason for me to stay. Everybody's so far away. And all of a sudden you go from like this guy's nuts to, oh, I, I kind of feel sorry for this guy. He, he can't get out. He can't see people. He can't be around society. And it's it's those twists. I mean, Newman's the master of this, you know, the final line, the final verse sort of twisting everything on its head uh, from the from the p- previous verses and choruses. And I think Back on My Feet again is, a, is another perfect example of that. Doctor, what you say? Well, I mean, if you're talking about that, then I think Wedding in Cherokee County is also a great <laughs> example of that. I, the, yeah. Wedding in Cherokee County, one of the, like the great dark horse highlights of Randy Newman's career. I mean, first of all, I looked it up just because like, I was like, where's Cherokee County located? Turns out there are like a ton of Cherokee counties throughout the South. There's one in North Carolina. There's one in Georgia. There's one in Texas. It could be anywhere. And there's actually one in Iowa, too. But I'm assuming that, you know, he probably wasn't thinking of Iowa when he wrote this song. But like this is about a guy who's in love with a crazy woman he has like a horrible you know like a weird you know what was it? her papa was a midget her mama was a whore her granddad was a newsboy today he was 84 um you know like but then it ends with one of the funniest lines that newman ever wrote and just also sort of sad where he says like you know i'm gonna marry this woman i'll carry her across the threshold i'll make dim the light she's crazy by the way i will attempt to spend my love within her but though i try with all my might she will laugh at my mighty sword why must everybody laugh at my mighty sword? <laughs> Which is, I think, you know, this is a very limited subgenre of music. The greatest um, uh, lyrical expression of male insecurity about their <laughs> sexual prowess that has ever been put to uh, music in, in the history of the rock era. Uh, just such a funny, dark, weird, weird song about a damaged relationship between two damaged people. But for some reason, you end up thinking like, you know, they're probably going to be together for 30 years anyway. Today we will be married And all the freaks that she knows will be there And all the people from the village will be there Congratulate us. I will carry across the threshold. Now we'll make them light. Now we'll attempt to spend my love with them. Though I try with all my might. She'll laugh. 
mighty sword She laughed my mighty sword Why must everybody laugh my mighty sword Lord help me if you will Maybe we're both crazy, I don't know Maybe that's why I love her so I'm going to get in, I'm going to throw in one before you get to talk a bit about uh, Louisiana 1987, Jeff, which is yeah. one you guys did not talk about, but I will pitch in that I think deserves just a minute is Marie. And mm-hmm. this is to step back. This is his most empathetic album throughout. And so you come out of the gate with rednecks, this kind of shocking song that offends everybody. Then you get to Birmingham, this kind of prideful song that also has this little edge and the dog. And then you get into Marie. And here is our the, Johnny Cutler, the the, the putative hero, and he can only say these things when he's drunk. And he is sitting on the, I guess, sitting, you know, sitting at home. He's singing to his wife, and he is basically, it, it's it's an incredible portrayal of like the emotionally constipated, self-loathing man, who who who's and, and, and he's, he's drunk and he's very honest you're you know he says you're a flower you're a river you're a rainbow sometimes i'm crazy but i guess you know i'm weak and i'm lazy and i hurt you so i don't listen to a word you say and when you're in trouble i turn away but i loved you i loved you the first time i saw you and i always will love you marie it's it's a very early peak of that emotional taproot and it really in the sequencing of the album it really hits you coming after those early two songs when you think it's the same guy sometimes i'm crazy but i guess you know and i'm weak and i'm lazy and i hurt you so and i don't listen to a word you say When you're in trouble I turn away But I love you I loved you the first time I saw you Just, it's a very, it's actually a very moving song um, that, that, that again, kind of potently reframes what you just heard. And uh, it's one that, you know, as I go back, when I went back and listened to it also, I mean, amid everything else in the album really resonates with me uh, a lot. And if you've heard, if you've heard um, on the extended version of the album that they put out at some point in the digital age, which has a lot of the songs when he was thinking about making his musical, it gets even more when you see he was writing a song from Marie's point of view called Shining that uh, he obviously never took to, to completion, but that is her singing about how she feels trapped in her life. It's, it's, it, it, there is really, this is really where he is touching on like the, the power of literature almost uh, in these songs in, in a way that's very, very unique to, I think. 
I mean, I, 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 th I think that's absolutely right. I think Marie is such a roundhouse precisely because, as you said, you're expecting this to be, you know, oh, you know, a northerner or a westerner or whatever. You know, he's a Californian snarking on these pudknuckers from the south. You know, the first song, obviously, well, unless you, you read it deeper and then you understand the complexity of it. But sure, you know, what's the chorus? We're rednecks. We don't know our ass from a hole in the ground. Um, then you get to Birmingham, which sounds like it could be a snarky take. And then you hit Marie and there's absolutely no subterfuge going on in that lyric at all it's just so naked and so painful and so honest and uh you know that i think brings me to my favorite song on this album my favorite song that randy newman ever wrote uh one of the finest songs maybe that will ever be written which is louisiana 1927 i already mentioned how much i love this but this is a song that is nominally about the historical flood in louisiana sort of central northern louisiana um, you know, it's 1927. There's a big flood. You know, like hundreds of people died, washed away. It's Louisiana. You know, you can understand how these sorts of things happen. So what Newman does, and he actually explained this in an interview once. I, I found this to be such a compelling statement. He's like, this is almost the song that I wrote as a response to Rednecks, where, you know, this is a song that is about the historical flood. It's so well written, so well observed. What has happened down here is the wind have changed. You know, clouds roll in from the north and it starts to rain. Rained real hard for a long time, six feet of water on the streets of Evangeline. Um, but he said, like, in a way, it was actually also a metaphor for how these folks, these poor, you know, white Southerners felt about how the rest of the nation viewed them as if they just wished that they would go away, that be washed away. Louisiana, they're trying to wash us away. They're trying to wash us away. Your national embarrassment. You guys are, you know, the, the ugly, you know, you know, stepbrothers and that we hide in the attic that we don't like to talk about. And, you know, everything that, you know, when these tragedies happen to you, it's a Shame, but we don't really have any real depth of human feeling or you know outreach to you and that's the, the second verse just captures that so well president coolidge coolidge quintessential northerner governor of massachusetts comes down in a railroad train with a fat little man and a notepad in his hand and he says well little fat man isn't it a shame what the river has done to this poor cracker's land just sort of this distanced you know almost jaundiced like yeah well you know isn't this a shame meanwhile these are human lives that have been been extinguished you know careers lives that have been lost human tragedy on a scale that you know they're never going to have to worry about or comprehend and it's all set to music that you know the irony of the music for louisiana is that it's basically a rewrite of sail away which you know if you listen to the two songs back to back it's just abundantly obvious but louisiana is not only you know every bit as much of a masterpiece as sail away is i think it's the better song when it hits that chorus and he's singing how they're trying to wash us away um I, it, i'm a guy who grew up in suburban maryland what the heck do i know about what it's like <laughs> to suffer through floods in louisiana or New Orleans or anything like that. But this thing just absolutely makes me melt. And I can listen to it on repeat forever. It is Randy Newman's greatest song. What has happened down here is the wind have changed. Clouds roll in from the north and it start to rain. Rain real hard and it rain for a real long time. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline River rolls all day, the river rolls all night 
got lost in the flood So people got away on the rain They'll have busted through Clear down the plaque of mine Six feet of water in the streets of That chorus really captures something that his writing can really do at its best. It just—it's a perfect—it's a perfect example of hitting the precisely perfect simple phrase that has so much in a few words and it, particularly on, on on these early albums he is so good at not overwriting at finding little things that get the, the story he wants to tell and the complexity and nuance and human emotion when the thing about president coolidge coming down just even the use of the word cracker hmm. it, it actually hits you like a firecracker right at the end in the middle of this beautiful song uh, of sort of the casual disregard that the word suggests and it bounces off some of the other slurs on the album it tells you how these people feel about about where they are and and these you know, the thing about these uh, simple like any kind of writing the simplest songs are the hardest ones to write <laughs> and there's so much in this one that leads us to little criminals the very next album if if people know a randy newman song it's probably short people if you only know one the big hit from little criminals which was in 1977 is short people and um I, guys, look, I you know I, I've heard the song a number of times and listen again. It, it is still incredible to me that anyone took this song at face value in 1977 and thought that Randy Newman clearly was had some sort of prejudice against short people. Yet it happened. There were protests. No, listen, as a tall person, I endorse this song's message. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I mean, you know. It's uh, I, 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 no, I'm just kidding. Sorry, Scott. Continue. It's so silly, right? I mean, it's so silly uh, and cruel. I mean. The thing about it is the verses have these, you know, they got short short fingers and short toes and short people got no reason. And the chorus is um, is actually saying, you know, you know, they're just like you and me. And so the question is, you know, I think when you when you hear it, is it is it the is it an apology in a way? Is it the narrator sort of backing out? I think it's not right. I think it's what the narrator says in public, right? When people uh, when people want to hear, oh, of course I love those short people. They're they're just fine. And then the verses are what he really thinks. And so it's it's a layer upon a layer, I suppose, which is why maybe people were misinterpreting it all over. Uh, I've but, never been a big fan of this song. I think like most of us, but I have to say that some of the lyrics make me laugh just because of the vitriol <laughs> where there's like they got little noses and tiny little teeth. They wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet. Like, oh my gosh, who, how could you hate a short person that much? And then by the way, like you know, like, like somebody has to plead for the right of short people to exist. Yeah. Oh, Guys, Jeff just muted himself. 
I muted myself by accident. I'm sorry. All I was saying is, that, <laughs> did we need to be told that short people were just the same as you and I? I, I don't think we did. I think that that's just, you know, Randy especially Newman by, writing. by the Eagles, really. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, this is the album, for those who don't know, that has, you know, Don Henley and Glenn Fry all over it. I mean, literally, they're on half the songs. And I think J.D. Sutter is singing, too. And I think Timothy B. Schmidt is in there, too. This is This is the Eagles and Randy Newman collaborating. Yeah. be forewarned yeah uh they're all over the place on a bunch of songs and i get it you know there are some there, there are some highlights here this is not this is a step down clearly from the past two records um but i, I think you know little criminals the title track i like quite a bit it's got an edge to it joe walsh and glenfire playing guitar on it but the story i like quite a bit i mean the small time crooks and one saying to the other, get out of here, we don't need you, we're, we've almost made it to the top, and of course the, the twist is not at all, I mean, they're, they're still little criminals, they're small time crooks, they're not, they're not making it to the top, they're not going to get their big heist done. This girl at the funeral of her father is just a simple, sad, and beautiful song. Um, I don't mind the Eagles backing vocals on Rider in the Rain, which uh, envisions Randy Newman as a cowboy, as strange as that might sound. Um, I, I like when he throws it to them at the end. Take take it, boys. And the Eagles kind of harmonize out the, the last 30, 40 seconds of that track. Um, Baltimore. Man, oh, man. When, I think one of the first times I heard Baltimore, I think I heard it once before. Uh, but when I got here to uh, to Hillsdale and and the radio station was just up and running, they were playing this 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 patriotic loop of songs, uh, <laughs> which got very uh, tiring very quickly because there weren't that many to choose from. But that's how they programmed it. So before I sort of revamped everything, my first order of business was to add some songs to the rotation. We went from like a hundred to five hundred or something. It was a big change. But I said, well, what can we do? Like American? Uh, all right, you know, place songs. And boy, nobody writes a place song like Randy Newman. Baltimore is right there. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that like is this the, this this certainly inspired Baltimore civic pride, yeah, right? Right. Beat up little seagull on a marble step. Listen, I'm I'm I think the only Baltimore on on this show. I spent five years living there. I went to college at Johns Hopkins, and uh, here's the funny thing: I did that in the late '90s, early 2000s. And the scary thing is that this song was written in 1977 <laughs> and it was still as relevant in that era as it was when it was written mm -hmm. which is both impressive and depressing you know baltimore the city is dying and it doesn't know why and uh, uh this is by far by the way by far the best song on little criminals and i actually don't have that much time for the rest of this mm -hmm. album i don't i don't even like the uh the uh, already in germany before the war one which is the song about you know the child killer from m um but no baltimore is the one song on this record that just hits home maybe maybe perhaps because i did live there and i know the city really well but also just because it has all the timeless verities of a great randy newman song those that that, yep. that ominous opening 
creep of the chords and how it builds and then it builds and then it finally hits that Baltimore man it's hard chorus uh, th- by far the, the best song on the record beat up little seagull on a marble step trying to find an ocean looking everywhere hard times in a city in a hard town by the sea ain't nowhere to run to there ain't nothing here for Newman rings um, emotion and message out of the simplest lines. Man, it's hard just to live. It's a pretty simple line. The way he delivers, the way it's placed, says so much in the uh, in the course of that song. I don't have much to add to what you guys said. In my heart, this is ironic considering this is the first ring in Newman album. I got, I got it when it came out, and I got into it as I said through short people. My hot take is it's not my favorite. I think um, I think that I like some of the music on here, although I'm not a big Eagles fan. Uh, but I think that this often he's he, there are situations, but not stories. There there are sketches that don't get fully developed very well. And I think at this point in his career, he was trying to figure out maybe how to get some popular success and plug more into the idiom of the era and, and also looking for ideas in a different way after the, maybe after the little, little uh, sorry, good old boys. So, uh, you know, I agree. I think Baltimore is good. I, I like some of the music. I like, you know, like I like a song like Jolly Coppers on parade music. It doesn't go anywhere. Um, but uh, for me, a lot of the songs on the record are, are uh, kind of not really, very well developed. Um, they, they sort of start and then they just get a little bit inert. Uh, and, and, and so to me, it's, I think I'm a little more down than either of you are as a, as a, uh, after the, the ones that came before. No, I, th- I think we, you and me, madam, we're on the same level. And I think also this may have been the one that encouraged, you know, uh, bad habits because of course this is his biggest commercial success mm-hmm. by a long shot on the back short people went to number two i think it was kept out of the number one slot by some disco head i can't remember which by the way uh, short people is a uh it, it's not a very interesting song it's not You're right <laughs> it's a little yes. funny but it comes out of the gate ba, 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 da, and it just doesn't change it's very monotonous actually 
Yeah, no, he wastes best moments right at the front, and it doesn't develop in the way that a lot of other Randy Newman songs do. Which, of course, I think that takes us to Born Again, which he followed up uh, two years later, 1979. This is the one where Randy Newman is dressed in Kiss uh, makeup <laughs> on the cover. With dollar signs you know. over his eyes. Yeah, exactly. Dollar signs. Instead of like the normal Kiss makeup, he's got dollar signs over his My eyes. My favorite and thing he, about the cover, though, is that if you look at the picture on his desk, his wife and kids have face paint on, too. I love, yeah. I love yeah. that note. Well, I, I appreciate that attention to detail. <laughs> and yet, and yet the obvious of this, the obvious of that image almost in a way is a good synecdoche for what happens to Newman during the 80s uh, th- for these next few albums, which is that I, I don't know if, if anybody was less equipped to deal with the Reagan 80s, the greed is good <laughs> Reagan 80s, where there's no subtext. It's all just text. It's all just obvious right there up front. Then Newman, who who traded in irony and traded in playing layers of music. And so the problem with this album, and of course the next few ones as well, I think, for the most part, is that it's so obvious Yes. Yeah. It's what's the first song? It's money that I love. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, make us work for it, Randy. You know, no, I know it's money that I love. Okay, well, I think I pretty clearly understand what the theme of this song is going to be. The the only songs that I really like on this album, and I do really like them, the one that's the ELO ripoff, which yes. I didn't fully appreciate. I knew it yes. before, but, you know, Matt, you probably don't know this. We did an ELO episode. I, I, listened, I heard it. I listened. Yeah, we did it with Jack Butler, and of course, I'd never heard any ELO songs before then, so like, I heard this song completely out of context, and now I go back and I listen to it, and I'm like, yeah, oh, man, he really does a good job of sort of like pastiche the ELO sound. It does a magnificent job of it. And of course, people thought it was an insult, but as Newman said, it's like, listen, you guys, I wouldn't have worked that hard to capture what they sounded like unless I actually secretly liked the band, which is, of course, why Jeff Lynne is going to show up as a producer later on. Although it is, it is worth saying one of the kind of funny things on that song is he gets a lot of the little details wrong. And it's like, right. it's like the narrator is so dismissive of them, he can't be bothered to get the facts. You know? <laughs> like where they came from or how you even pronounce the city. How, how many there are in the band. And it's, right, exactly. It, the, 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 the starkiness and, actually works there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good song, and I think that's the best song on this record. And otherwise, man, I don't know. This is just this this one is is a real step down for me. But but maybe you know maybe Scott's going to be the guy who's going to speak out against it. I actually I actually will go to bat for um, parts of Born Again. It, it's uh, uh, especially it's money that I love, which Jeff mentioned. I'm sorry, but I love love this song uh that that fats domino piano line uh and 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 the the writing it, i think it even is funnier when you consider he had been hanging out with the eagles and don henley specifically when you get to i think that second verse right they say that money can't buy love in this world but it'll get you a half pound of cocaine and a 16 year old girl and a great big limousine on a hot september night now that might not be love but it's all right 
I mean, that right there, that's that's like Don Henley's life story in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> notice i saw him playing live and he changed the lyrics he made it a 19 year old girl and i don't yeah. know when that actually happened but you know uh, randy newman sold out selling out yeah but i, I it's money though it happened so, it definitely happened sometime after he had a daughter i think yeah that would make some sense uh, i love it's money that i love i really 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 like that song uh, story of a rock and roll band is great they just got married uh the the the, the lyrics in that to me are classic newman the the twist right because it's a story it even starts out it's an old old story man and woman get together get married move out to the west coast they have a baby they're really happy the wife goes for a routine doctor appointment and then newman says anyway she dies and then there's one more verse where he says the guy finds a a rich woman and they got married and moved out to los angeles that's the song um i I like the way i like the way that's set up and, and paid off uh by newman in the writing and i Look, there's a song at the very end called Pants, and I would not have said much about it, but I, I, I did read new and uh, uh, writing about it and what it is, because it's basically, uh, I'm going to take my pants off and no one can stop me. That's essentially the song. Newman was, was saying, it was about him going to see like sticks or right, something sticks like that. Sticks in Kansas, in like a rock this, show. This faux danger in rock music, which actually uh, our very last episode, Ben Folds, and, and the the rock in the suburbs song gets at that too. You know, you better watch out, or I'm going to say you know the word uh, that I don't want to bleep myself with. But pants are the same way, right? But it's like fake danger. Hey, I might take my pants off, and no one can stop me. I'm dangerous. Um, so I, I, I like it more that I know the the backstory to it. So it's not it's not a hit back to front. I, I think like spies especially is is is, is not a really good song on this album but uh but there are some really high points on born again that i, I certainly will fight for I, I my take would be that this is an album that tells you how hard what he's trying to do is because getting satire and observation right it, there's too much that's too on the nose here you know uh to me i i, I like musically i like uh they just got married but it's a very easy target it's very on the nose um, there's a, interestingly we talked about the use of the offensive language in Good Old Boys. There's some slurs thrown in here in a couple songs that are just kind of they feel very uh, gratuitous and generic. Like he's he's trying to recapture that feeling, but they don't add anything. They're just kind of offensive and unnecessary. Um, you know, I think and I do uh, one song you guys didn't mention. I will just put in a little word for is Ghosts, which is probably you know it's it's a minor song but it's it, there's some character work there that's interesting once i flew in a plane i fought in a war we lived in a castle I slept on the floor and i don't want to be all alone anymore 
street Colored kids playing one, and one thing, I'll, I'll split the difference between you on It's Money That I Love in this sense. I don't know that the song has aged that well, but it's it's alongside other, something like Lawyers in Love or other songs in 1979, 1980 that were written as the baby boom generation really started to curdle into the yuppie generation. <laughs> so it was, I think it probably stood out in the context of that era to say things like that that it does to us today. But I don't, I'm not sure it's lasted very well so i i think i think here he, he getting it's such a fine line to walk on satire and the target has to be right and the wording has to be right i just think he misses the mark most of the time here i agree with you and of course he was really stung by the commercial reception of this album he mm-hmm. said he thought it was magnificent he expected it to be a big seller especially after little criminals had been such a success and it wasn't it failed and what did he do he turned to, uh, to the family profession after this what did he do he started writing soundtrack music he started getting involved with scoring films and of course this has eventually become what randy newman is more known for i think by people these days for better or worse than his amazing career as a solo artist he i think the first one he first job he took was with ragtime in 1981 he might have done something before that i don't know uh but then you know he would do the natural later everybody knows that famous you know do 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 that's that's randy newman he wrote that um a lot of other stuff on that record as well um all the way up through the toy story disney pixar film so it took a long time for his next album to come out 1983 and it's trouble in paradise and i gotta say this is not an a level album yeah, I'd say maybe it's a B, B minus, but it's one of those albums where I think half of the material is genuinely good. And I'll tell you that the big hit from it is I Love L.A., which a lot of people who are actually from L.A. actually love, which I think <laughs> is a good sign that you've done a good job in encapsulating your town. I love I love L.A. And the reason I think that's funny is that I hate Los Angeles as a city. I consider it a cesspool that should be nuked from the air just to be <laughs> sure. Um, but the song is great. The song is just a ton of fun. Look, I can listen to that song on repeat and have over and over again from start to finish. Yeah, it's a we joy talking about ride. like just driving with the hood down, listening to the Beach, Beach Boys, Boys with, yeah. with like a cute redhead and you know in the passenger seat next to you. I mean, yeah, that that really is kind of what the Los Angeles experience is about. And there's again, there's, there's nothing. There's, I don't think there's anything particularly subtextual about it. Randy Newman genuinely loves Los Angeles. It's where well, he's from. Yeah. I, I I disagree a little bit. I think that thing about the, the, the look at that bum over there. Yeah. There's something. Oh yes, he's got to throw at least one little observation in. But, right. But I think it feeds the song in the sense that what what I think really is great about the song. By the way, this is what's weird about the album. If you've been saying your name is, he's kind of almost happy in some parts of this. It's yeah. a really bouncy album. Is it's goofy it's silly he's los angeles is kind of shallow and empty and but he's you love it anyway i mean it all kind of works together in this kind of weird way that actually makes it a better song because he's not overstating the, the wonderfulness of los angeles he's just in a great mood bouncing down the highway with the top down Right. This isn't Louisiana, 1927. <laughs> this, is, this is like I love LA. Let's all just you know like cruise out on the Sunset Strip and like you know get high. <laughs> yeah, and the empty and sort of the shallowness of LA, particularly the way it was perceived at that time, is part of the theme of the song. Right. Over there, man, he's down on his knees. Look at these 
mentioned too it wasn't a huge hit when it was released at, at all i love la now these days it's used in tons of movies and and you know soundtracks and anytime someone watches, that, right that, that's a great uh, montage and they got i love it but uh it didn't get big uh, somewhat big until the 84 olympics in la and they sort of tied that into the marketing campaign but as a single you know as a song from the album it didn't do very well and so you know kind of the commercial uh, you know, people know I Love L.A., I think, by this point, because of its many, many uses. But at the time, it was not that big of a song. It also had it also uh, it was still fairly early in the MTV video era. And the video is, is pretty funny. And that I think. It, it is pretty funny. He's just driving around again with like a hot redhead who, who I, he must have been involved with because she appears in like, you know, some of his other videos from that era. And like there's all these crowds of people just saying like, I love L.A. You know, like everybody seems to, you know, to be in on the joke. It's just actually pretty, pretty fun. Very, very early '80s material. It also Speaking inspired songs uh, about what were you saying? It also inspired Cheech Marin's parody "Born in East LA," which is really <laughs> which is a very different place. Yes, obviously. yes, yes. <laughs> But talking about songs about places, I think the other song. Well, there are two other songs in this album that I really think are just top shelf superb, and they come back to back. The first of them is Miami which is another song randy newman ran this guy knows how to write a song about a city but man he, he again i i know people who were born and raised in miami who gets who say like this song captures what this city is about you know better than anything else everything from like the sun and the fun and the beach to like the girls to the 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 best dope in the world the cocaine everywhere you know there's a bad man over there his name is medina he comes from argentina obviously a cocaine dealer you know like he gets everything and it's all set to this really impressive musical like hook which is kind of this nagging two note thing that goes back and forth uh miami is a song that musically is a lot more uh, complex than you know than you might expect given the character sketch you know that he's trying to draw about the city and i just think it works so well
the other one is, and I don't want to steal this because I figure both of you like it as much as I do. I think Real Emotional Girl is one of the great highlights of Randy Newman's career. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. Scott? Yeah. Um, that's actually, I mean, that's not one of my, it, this is not my favorite Randy Newman album. And so I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> if Matt wants to go, go ahead. Well, look, I, I, I might, I, I remember getting this album when it came out. So I probably have a slightly different experience. I, I like it more than I think you guys do, but it's, it's spotty. I think what works well really works well and what misses misses. Uh, I so I like other stuff on the album. I, I like Real Emotional Girl, which is another just kind of very beautiful, but in some ways more complex song than some of his others because the relationship between the narrator and the Real Emotional Girl is tricky, but is a very moving portrait. But look, I think of this uh, fairly or not. I think of it as a happier, bouncier album. So I'm a big fan of My Life Is Good. <laughs> Yeah. It's a very funny song and has a little poke at Bruce Springsteen. One of the things that starts to happen around here with Randy Newman is he, I don't know if it's a full character, but he sings more songs going forward in kind of a exaggerated version of himself as right. a really rich Southern California jerk. Um, <laughs> and they don't all work, but this one is a very funny song where he's, you know, arguing with his kid's teacher about how important he is and trying to impress her. And I went over to see Bruce Springsteen. That's right. And the, 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 the kicker is that he asked me, how would you like to be the boss for a while? Right. And you, you know that guy, you know, that jerk. And it's very funny. I I think I, I'm probably alone on this. I like the blues. Which, oh, no, no, no. You're not alone at all. That's the one with Paul Simon on it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. a good song. I mean, the, blues, the interesting about the blues is it's the, of all the things we've already talked about, that's the one song Randy Newman has ever said he regrets writing. <laughs> uh, because, you know, the poor kid in the blues is like going back to his room and finding solace in his music and he's not appreciating it. I think it's a hilarious song if you spend enough time with music and it almost creeps up to Paul Simon, almost seeming like maybe he has a sense of humor. No, but he, he, he I don't think he understood. I don't think he understood. He's got blues. And I agree with you on Miami. Another one I like, I, I wouldn't call it a major song, but I think is, is, a, is, a, is a pretty good song is Take Me Back. Um, and, and so I think it's a pretty good album. I think the things that, that don't work partly are they're dated. I think Christmas in Cape Town is a real effort at this time for him to you know, come out with another kind of powerful, potent, you know, maybe race-inflected statement. The problem, aside the fact that I don't think it's as interesting as some of the earlier stuff, is the context of South Africa and the apartheid era of 1983 is really doesn't translate very well anymore. Mikey's is, to me, just a lot of noise. It's never worked very well as a song. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Song for the Dead, which a lot of people like at the end, there was this kind of period in the early 80s where 
after years of not really talking about Vietnam, people started to write songs about it. So this is, you know, Billy Joel was writing Good Night Saigon, which is not a good song. And Bernstein <laughs> was doing Born in the USA. And I, I don't, I, I think this is well-intentioned, but it's, it's never blown me away that much. One more thing I'll say, I kind of like, it's not, I kind of like I'm different. And Scott, you mentioned on the last album, the interaction with the chorus. I like when he starts doing this more too. I like when his narrators argue with and interact with the yes. chorus. And I do love <laughs> the singing, the backup singing is nice and the way that they reinforce it and yeah. he has the back and forth with them. It's, it's a, it's a very charming song. I think the last thing I want to say is that I, I just think Real Emotional Girls, another one of those great Randy Newman portraits that, that's an honest portrait of an actual person and a person that, you know, we know, that people know when they, when they, they listen to that song. And, and it, you know, it doesn't have, again, any, there's no cruelty to it. There's no subtext. She's talking about, like, she's a real emotional girl who wears her heart on her sleeve and every little thing that you tell her, she'll believe. Um, you know, she lives deep down inside herself. And then what's, you know, what's the line you know you know she met a boy who broke her heart and now she lives alone and she's very very careful yes she is um you know just it's a really graceful portrait of a really delicate girl who's you know been through some tough times and is obviously a you know very emotional person but uh you know tries not to let it show and nevertheless does uh it's, it's kind of like on an album that i think has a lot of sort of you know as matt said a lot of really bouncy bright kind of over the top stuff um this is a moment of real subtlety Lives down deep inside herself She turns on easy It's like a hurricane You would not believe Gotta hold on tight to her Um, and it kind of explains why I do not like one of my least favorite Randy Newman albums. The next one, Land of Dreams, took five more years off. 1988, end of the 80s, he comes out with this one. This is the one that I don't like. Um, you know, what's, what's, there's, there's a Jeff Lynne produced song on this record. I, yep. I don't even know which one it is. I assume it's the Tom Selleck movie one, right? Yeah, Falling, yeah, in, Falling love. in Love. Yep. Yes, sounds like Jeff Lynn, right? I don't like, you know, Bad News from Home. Oh, I, I like, like that me. one. I like Bad News from Home. Eh, I, what I really don't like is it's money that matters, which again, you know, what's what's talk about somebody who sounds like they're repeating themselves. You know, it's he's a decade later from Born Again and it's money that I love. And now he's just saying it's money that matters. You know, it's like, mm, you know, maybe you're running out of themes to roll with. Well, and you, and you guys, you guys did your uh, Dire Straits show too, but the Mark Knopfler guitar is way too turned up on that. It, yeah. It's, it's yeah. all over that song. It's, it's, it is. It's, it's almost a transparent effort to get one more big hit. It worked, I mean, though. It was number one on the mainstream rock tracks that year, so uh, it, was. it worked. Well, shows you what I know. I'll tell you, the one <laughs> song that I really do like on this is Dixie Flyer, which is, you know, sort of an autobiographical song. His mom's maiden name, or I don't know if it was his maiden name, it was her nickname, was Dixie. And this is about his childhood and his mother's childhood. That's a beautiful piece of music. Great Green Hudson Whiskey from a flask in the back seat. Trying to do like a Gentile do. Crash their water. 
dead. And I think New Orleans wins the war. Those are the first two songs on that album, which are both pretty autobiographical. And I think the album cover photo is actually a young Randy Newman dressed up as like a cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that explains that. Those are good songs, but the rest of this is, you know, it, it's it's the moment where there's just there's too much 80s, there's too much, I think, lack of inspiration, even given how much time he'd taken off from the last one. Yeah, and I, I would I I'm we don't want to spend much time here. Uh, at least I don't. I agree with what you said. I like Four Eyes, Okay, too, which is the third autobiographical song before he sort of moved on. But I will say, Masterman and Baby J is the worst <laughs> Randy Newman song. It's, yeah. it's painful. Well, and actually, that, that's going to be my top five at the end, Matt. Yeah, go. Sorry about that. But the the the, uh, the best thing I could say about that song, and I was thinking about it, is Randy Newman takes big swings, which I admire. But when you take big swings, sometimes you have big misses. <laughs> this is his worst. I would say. Um, I really do like Bad News from Home, which Chef does not like. It's a it's a very like film noir sounding song, very dark and ominous. It's a it's a murder ballad essentially, uh, coming toward the center of the album. I do like that a lot. I think the Jeff Lynn produced song is okay, Falling in Love. Uh, there are a lot of production missteps. There are some. Um, I think Red Bandana is not very good. I actually don't like Four Eyes a whole bunch. That last song, um, I want you to hurt like I do. Yeah. Uh, some, it's okay. Yeah, um, and and th- just that first verse. Um, where Newman writes a little bit more about himself, which he rarely did previously. But on Land of Dreams, the first three songs are <coughs> basically about him and, and his life growing up. And I think I, I want you to hurt like I do could be considered a biographical one too. It talks about um, running out, not his children and his wife and. Uh, uh, everyone was crying when he left except for his, his young son and he put his armor on his young son and said I just you know I just want you to hurt like I do and you're like what um, that's a very strange delivery and the second one is kind of like a uh, second verse is kind of like a the we are the world you know if Randy Newman could tell the people one thing could say it's a rough rough world it's a tough tough world things don't always go the way that we plan uh, just, I, I think I think he was consciously I think I've read he was consciously trying to write an answer song to we are the world hmm. which it shows, you know, sort of the cockiness. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and what a contrast that that would end up being from. I think the best song on on his next album. His next album, by the way, a decade plus goes by before he releases his next album which is bad love 1999 i actually grouped the last three albums up into the present day of randy newman's career kind of in the same batch and maybe maybe it helps if we treat them that way they come out over long spans of time in the meantime he's occupied with his film soundtrack work Mm -hmm. so like you know you have bad love you have harps and angels and then you have his most recent album dark matter which actually just came out uh i think in 2018 so it's it's pretty it's pretty fresh um uh but you know the the you know, I want you to hurt like I do contrast that well by the way before I continue um there is a musical that came out in the meantime Faust Randy Newman's Faust he'd always been obsessed kind of with musical theater as as, as far back as Johnny Walker's birthday which is what was turned into good old boys but you know he actually ended up writing a play or a musical if you will and uh, eventually got staged and he recorded a soundtrack album I think we both all agreed to pass over it he sings on it and you know it is scored and all that 
I don't really think the material is that great. I don't really think it works that way. He gets a cast of like superstars. He gets, you know, like Don Henley and, you know, uh, he was uh, you know, Bonnie Raitt and Linda Ronstadt, all these no, people. No. El- Elton John, right? I mean, like, you know, all these, all these superstar friends come in to help out and sing all these songs. But I really think the material holds up. I also think it's very telling that he took the best song from it and ended up re-recording it for his next album. But when he finally returned to solo work, it's with Bad Love. Um, I know you guys like this album a lot. Mm. I don't. This is, a, by the way, uh, a, reverting, a reverting to his sort of more traditional musical verities in terms of the sound. The 80s ticks, the production ticks, they're gone. It's, you know, piano, orchestra, strings, tasteful drums, guitar. It's, you know, it, it's got a nice sound to it, but I feel like most of the music is uninspired. The one exception of to that uh maybe i also like i like the ending song i want everyone to like me because it's a complete piss take he doesn't want everyone to like him. <laughs> he's, he's, he's willing to like you know play a joke and tell you that he thinks that uh i miss you is the song that i really love and that's the song that he wrote to his ex-wife who he you know they divorced in 1987 um you know after being married for like 25 years or something like that and it's just a naked confession again no artifice just him actually just being honest you know where like you know i want to thank you for the good years um and apologize for the rough ones you must be laughing yourself sick up there in idaho but i wanted to write you one song before i quit and this one's it and then it just ends with him saying i miss you and i miss you and i wanted you to know that i miss you and i still love you so it's painfully beautiful you it's uh again you know, maybe maybe the finest song of his late career and it's stuck on an album that i otherwise so much care for but i wanted to write you one before i quit this one's It's also a song, uh, you know, he remarried, I think, in 1990, and he was asked about how his second wife felt about the first song, <laughs> and he said something like, uh, you know, I decide what to write. It's my song, which is, which sounds brutal, but is just a reflection of the artistic imperative, the output to say those things. Um, I, it is, a, this is, I do differ with you on this. I like a lot of the songs on the album. I think, by the way, the music is great on these last three albums. I think it's, again, these that doesn't feel dated anymore i like it comes out of the gate with my country which is basically sounds like it's going to be a warm tribute to family and it's basically about how the family all watches television mm-hmm. and passes on down to the, ge- the generations which he has <laughs> said is what his family was like um i i like uh I, I, shame is another one where he gets into an argument with the uh with the backup singers in a funny way i'm dead but i don't know it which is about rock stars uh, well past their uh, expiration date, still performing. Maybe it's a little self-mock, but I've always thought, you know, maybe I heard a little Springsteen or others in there. 
Uh, it's probably something you guys should play in the back half hour of about a third of your shows. But uh, it's a, I think it's it's a little on the nose, but it's a funny song, I think. Um, and and I miss, I agree with you about I miss you. Um, the, the the second half of the album isn't as good, but the other one I, I like, which I think is a pretty good song, is "The World Isn't Fair," yeah, yeah. where he has his argument with Karl Marx, and it 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 has a great little kicker in those lyrics. Yeah, great. Where because the song is you know basically about Karl Marx, you know, was an idealist and had this inspiration and saw the world wasn't fair. And he, that contrasts with then Randy Newman, who is a liberal, a famous liberal, and is really kind of in sympathy with those things, but has a lot of money and lives in in Southern California in his show business and goes to his kid's school with his wife. And it's all these young mommies are there and they're very beautiful with, and he says, with froggish men like me, unpleasant <laughs> to see. <laughs> and, and then he starts talking. Across, and I just want to say those last words because – Again, and there's a, there's, there's a sting after sting. Carl, the world isn't fair. It isn't and never will be. They tried out your plan and brought misery instead. If you'd seen how they worked it, you'd be glad you were dead. <laughs> just like I'm glad I'm living in the land of the free where the rich just get richer and the poor you don't ever have to see. Mm-hmm. It was bless us, Carl. And then there's still one more kick because we care that the world isn't, isn't fair. You know, and every bit we care it's uh i think it's there's so much in it that is self-parodying and parodying of sort of a platitude and it's it's a i think i i really like it's uh, his political stuff doesn't always work but i think that song really works because in the same way we were talking with some of the other stuff it speaks to some 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 larger realities about how we are and our own sort of hypocrisy the fearlessness of it right it it goes there i'd say call our reasonist into a new family with two little children in school where all little children should be I went to the orientation all the young mommies were there car you never have seen such a glorious sight as these beautiful women arrayed for the night just like countesses empresses Stars and queens They'd come there with men Much like me Froggish men Unpleasant to see Were you to kiss one car Nary a prince Would there be yeah, I, uh, I'm with Matt. I think this is, Bad Love is my favorite of these last, most recent three albums. And uh, I was literally going to highlight the same thing that, that he did with The World Isn't Fair. It's a great, great song. Um, I also like Great Nations of Europe, which is kind of an, uh, not an update, but a uh, um, kind of recalls political science from, from the earlier album. Every Time It Rains, uh, just a pure heartbreak album. Every Time It Rains reminds me of you and just how lonely my life is going to be. I may say I don't mind it at all. But I do. Um, Big Hat No Cattle is another co- like country western pastiche that I think works pretty well. Jeff mentioned I Want Everyone to Like Me, which is a, a very good song. I, I think Bad Love is a, is a really excellent uh, record. And, and again, all three of these are good. There's, just, there's no yeah. way around that. But I think Bad Love is my favorite of the three. I think Jeff likes Harps and Angels quite a bit, which was the next one nine years after the fact. There's a pattern coming here. Yeah, there's, yeah exactly. It takes him a decade of like building up songs after yeah. he's you know, been doing you know, Pixar films. 
albums to like come back to it. Right. Um, the the lead off track there, the, uh, the the title track, Harps and Angels, is really very very good. Uh, I like Losing You quite a bit. Um, something that that pops up in these late albums is. Um, the heartfelt songs are the ones that connect with me most uh, on these on these last few albums uh, that I think he really writes the heck out of. Uh, Losing You is another one of those kind of heartbreak tales. When you're young and there's time, um, you'll forget the past. You don't think that you will, but you do. And then Newman says, I don't have time enough. I'll never get over losing you. That's a great little phrase, turn of phrase there in that song. Uh, feels like Home is very good, too. But I think uh, Jeff liked this one quite a bit, yeah? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I like this one a lot. And and the, the thing I like about this album is that again, you have the you know the sort of down home sound. It's more modest sound, but you have it in service of, of much better music. Harps and Angels, as you said, is just hilarious. Uh, you know, it's about a real thing that happened to Randy Newman. He yeah. had like a heart attack, yeah. I think, something like that, or he passed out. You know, and the music is put in service to that so brilliantly. So like the, you know, it's like he says, like at first my knees begin to tremble and then my heart begin to pound. And it was a rhythm. I, I lost my equilibrium, you know, face down on the ground. And, and the music actually starts to, like, get arrhythmic. It starts to pound and shudder and thud. And, you know, it's, I lay there on the pavement and a tear round, ran down my face because I knew I was dying. And, of course, that's when the harps and the angels come in. And it could be just, like, another joke, but it's not. I mean, it is a joke. He knows. This is guy is, is we've already discussed is you know kind of a famous atheist but it's sort of aesthetically and intellectually fascinated by the idea of god and by the idea of death eternity the afterlife maybe because it's such ripe fodder for him as a songwriter you know he can just you know mine it for so much gold but i really think that's a lovely song no almost immediately i had reason to believe my prayers been heard in a very special place but this is what happened. I heard the sound. Yes. Yes. It was Hobbs and the Angel. Hobbs and the Angel coming near. I was too sick to roll over and sing, but I could hear him singing ever so beautifully in my ear. Then the sound subside and it sound like background sounds. Voice come down. Not from the heaven above. It's a voice full of anger from the Old Testament. A voice full of love from the New One. And I think the others the other songs that I really like on this, um and I know I know Matt maybe doesn't like this one that much, but I actually really like Korean parents. Yeah. And the reason I like it is, is I have a friend who's Korean uh, and her parents loved this song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they absolutely adored this song. This song is the classic song, uh, you know, written. I mean, again, it almost feels autobiographical. It's like by Dad Randy Newman lamenting his lazy slacker kids. <laughs> um, like, why aren't you guys, like, trying hard in school? And so he's, like, saying, you know, especially this is Los Angeles, where there's, like, a, a really huge Korean population. You know, he says, like, you know, you know, Korean parents, you know, they'll discipline you. They'll, they'll get their kids into shape. And then he has that great line. He's like, look at the numbers. That's all I ask. Who's at the head of of every class do you really think they're smarter than you are no they just work their asses off mm -hmm. their parents make them do it 
You know, he's like, your parents aren't the greatest generation. I'm so sick about hearing about the greatest generation. That generation <laughs> could be you. So let's see what you can do. Um, it's almost like advice for parenting. It's the way that like we think of when we read those editorials in the Wall Street Journal about tiger moms. Mm. You know, like, oh, why aren't we tiger parents? Why are these other parents eating our lunch? Why are we letting our kids down? And of course, you know, my friend who is, you know, you know Korean and her parents were like exactly like that. They love that song. They considered it an immense compliment. <laughs> and so, like, I don't know how other people treated it, but they were like, they were deeply proud of that. Like, yes, that is who we are. That is, that, that is, that is what our culture is like. So I've always had a soft spot in my heart for it. So I really like the last two albums broadly musically. There's really nothing I, I don't like. You're right. I'm not as fond of Korean parents only because I, it feels to me always like he's he's trying a little hard to stir controversy in a different time. And I would say in general, and and you know this is this, this album and the next one, the big showstoppers. So sometimes uh, you know he in his later years. He's occasionally sort of, you know, played to the audience a little aggressively. And so a few words in defense of our country was out there, was big. And there's a couple uh, on the next album. And I think they don't always work as much as the quieter songs uh, do. And 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 so I, re, I you know, uh, I, like I said, I like everything. But I agree that I, I what I really like is Losing You, which also really has a has a nice touch coming in just after uh, harps and angels and and i i another one i kind of like on this is only a girl which is a little different which mm-hmm. is kind of an older man singing about the young woman that he's dating on the phone to a friend and realizes over the course of the call that you know he's got a problem here <laughs> maybe she's just after his money um i like potholes which is, potholes is so funny that was the other one i was gonna <laughs> it's, it's, it's like about the joys of forgetting but the specific anecdote he tells is hilarious like you know he used to be like a high school pitcher and then he had a meltdown one day where he walked 14 people on the row and he like walked off the mound crying like a baby and so then he brings his new wife or girlfriend over to meet his aged father and the first thing that he tells her is that story where he looks like <laughs> like like a whiny little like child and then even better the next time he brings her over he tells the story again because he can't forget whereas randy newman has learned how to forget it's such a good lyric god bless the bottle I remember my father, oh, my brother, of course. Remember my mother, spoke of her earlier, and I remember that. Remember the smell of cut grass going off to play ball in the morning. It goes, it goes right to that. His, his, and as he became a parent and his family grew since he kind of had two families, but he understands families and parents and kids and the way they talk to each other. This comes, this is on the last album too. He, he really gets at that really, really well. And you can, you can feel that aggravation of your father dragging that story up again and again. So it's, I like it. 
By the way, my mom does that to Noel, my wife. Every time we go home to visit, she'll be like, you remember the time? Oh, John, why don't you, why don't you tell Noel about the time when Jeff walked out of the bathroom at the pool with his, his swim trunks around his ankles because he couldn't pull them up? Like, like, oh, God, Mom, why, why? I was five years old, Mom. No, I'll, I'll tell you that my, my kid is older than I think either of your kids, and I'm already promising to do that to her one day. <laughs> they, they, they love to humiliate us. They just do, and they never forget either. Yeah. Scott, do you have any thoughts, or do you want to move on to the final album? Uh, let's, the Dark Matter, yeah. Um, just out, I think this is last year, maybe at the end of 2017. Again, yeah. this, is, this, is, this is still very good. Um, yeah. If you're a Monk fan, uh, you know it's a jungle out there, which was the theme song for that uh, USA show. That is here in a slightly different form. Uh, a good song about kind of paranoia. Uh, Sunny Boy, which is the song just before it, uh, is based on a true story about uh, um, uh, Sunny Boy Williamson. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, he died in Chicago. Someone sort of took his music and his name and became a big success. Set to the sort of brass band music. Sunny Boy is really good. I like She Chose Me, too, which is an old song. He wrote it for cop rock, apparently. Um, and pulls it off very nicely here on Dark Matter. And... Um, the the big one here is the great debate, and that's literally, it's eight and a half minutes long or so. It's this science versus religion sort of debate. And Matt, you mentioned you like when Randy talks to the backup singers and, and, and sort of interacts. That's all over this great debate, which is more like a like a musical drama almost uh, than a song. Uh, talking about dark matter and evolution. And, uh, and, we even uh, debate the songwriter. He's like, Mr. Newman, you're creating straw man. Yeah. You know, like, listen, I believe in God, but I'm not like, you know, but I believe in evolution too and in a life everlasting no one can knock me down and then of course newman comes back and like oh yes we can we can <laughs> knock you down mister we can knock everyone down because he's asserting his sort of uh, you know uh, omnipotence as the author of the song he mm-hmm. is basically playing god i yeah. think that's the joke he's god because he writes the tune and he pulls the strings let me get this straight you don't know what it is you don't know where it is we can't get any put that to the one side Let's put the Lord, faith, eternity, whatever, on the other side. Show of hands. Uh, but yeah, very good stuff on uh, Dark Matter, which continues uh, the, the nine year streak uh, between between albums. I would uh, 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 for me, I think, again, I would mention that the, 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 there's a lot of stuff I like. I really like the arrangement of it's a jungle out there, that kind of swing jazz feel, which is just it's it, you can't not tap your toe. I don't like Brothers that much. It's okay, but I think Putin is a lot of fun for the big songs. But the two that I just want to mention that I just really like is Lost Without You, which is just a beautiful song to me of, you know, a a widower lost, his wife's died, and he recounts the conversation she had with their kids as she was on her deathbed, where the kids were sort of saying dad's, you know, stumbled and is he drinking, and she, she castigates the kids. Don't speak that way of him. He's been nothing but good to me. Uh, he needs you. 
don't, you know, make sure he sleeps in his bed. If he wants to hold your hand, hold it tight. And, and yet the narrator's recounting that conversation is singing to his dead wife, basically, I'm lost without you. Even if this road takes me home, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. It, I think it's beautiful. And, and the last song on the album, Wandering Boy, which I think also derives from some real events, uh, there's a neighborhood party in the neighborhood of Los Angeles where he grew up, and I guess he's been going every every year since he was a kid. And and talking, thinking about the kids they saw when they were young, who were full of such promise and were going to big things, and how they how they uh, uh, their lives went awry. This is the narrator who's been going to this a version of this party all his life, uh, singing about his youngest son who used to come to this uh, party and is now a wandering boy and and he doesn't know where he is. And I think it's gutting. I just think it's, it's such a beautiful, simple song. And uh, on these last few albums, one of the really interesting things about Randy Newman as he ages is he's like a great singer of regret. Mm -hmm. The weight of life, the decisions, the, the, the consequences, the living with the memories, um, it, it he's re, it's beautiful and Wandering Boy I've listened to a lot in preparing for the show again and again and it and it really gets me I think it's so that and that's the very last song he's released and so he's still going pretty strong. Is my Wandering Boy? If you see him, push him toward the light. Where is my singer of regret but i have to admit and i'm as surprised about this as anyone this is an album i hadn't really heard until we started doing the show or you know planning the show he's also still really good at writing political songs which surprised me because i thought they had gotten stale putin is amazing all right and it's almost like how does he get the memes he gets the memes like the this is all based around that famous image of like a shirtless putin riding around on a horse you know trying to, to prove how much of a man he is you say putin's getting big head and putin's high, head is just fine what was the line where he is like he can drive a giant tractor across the siberian yeah. plain he could power a nuclear reactor with the left side of his brain and when he takes his shirt off he drives the ladies crazy you know and of course he's like you know it's the putin girls and then like his backing vocals are like the, like the backing vocals and then he points out as like putin hates the putin girls because you know he hates vulgarity he's all upstanding and moral and then he talks about as he walks with his ex-wife <laughs> so he's a divorcee who hates moral it's just it again I, I I, I love I love that toward the end of that too when he's he's bragged and the food girls who whipped Napoleon you did it and he says who won World War Two they go the Americans, Americans. that's a good one <laughs> one ladies. <laughs> 
so good. It's such a good song. And the thing is, is that I didn't think he had it in him anymore, but he still does. And, uh, you know, I guess hopefully he just keeps kicking him out. Maybe when he's 85 years old, we're going to get another one of these records because, yeah, he still has it in him. And I'm just so impressed to find out that that's the case. Another record and another 12 soundtracks or so in between. Yeah, right. Pixar is willing to hire. Uh, there is our look at the uh, career of Randy Newman. We come to the point of the episode where all three of the hosts give you two albums that you must own and five songs you should hear from our featured artists. We turn it over to uh, Matt Murray, editor-in-chief for the Wall Street Journal, for his selections. Matt? Thanks. Uh, and I, I'm afraid I'm going to make it harder for you guys because I'm going to make the obvious album picks. But, I, you know, especially if you don't know Randy Newman, I just feel sail away. And Good Old Boys are, you know, they're two of the greatest albums, I think, of the last, uh, I don't know, 50 years, and certainly of the rock era that everybody has to have uh, for all the reasons that we've talked about today. Um, and my five songs, and this list could change week to week, uh, <laughs> where I'm at, Sail Away, um, you know, uh, Louisiana 1927, I think, uh, but but at different times with the Good Old Boys, I, and I was I almost didn't want to say it because I don't want to step on Jeff's toes after everything you said on it, but it it, it is great. Um, I love L.A. Um, I'm gonna surprise you and go with uh, uh, a later thing. I, I, the world isn't fair is one I just really uh, love and go back and forth on uh, a lot and. Uh, um, uh, I, I, and then I think my last one is going to be, um, uh, I think it's going to rain today, which, which, you know, is one that, uh, I had liked and knew and somehow in listening the last few weeks and really visiting it, just that, that plaintive piano, we, I probably didn't talk about it enough, just really, really, really got in my skin. So those are my five. Um, my two albums are... Maybe the same as Matt's, which I don't love doing because, I mean, to say that those two albums are the best are, are, is to somewhat imply that that uh, that was the peak and nothing's quite approached it. And I, I, I mean, I suppose that's true, but really Newman's career from start to finish is extremely rewarding. Again, as we've kind of taken pains to point out, even these most recent albums have some excellent material. But yes, uh, Sail Away and Good Old Boys would be my two albums. On the songs uh, from Sail Away... Love Burn On, for the reason stated earlier. Uh, from Good Old Boys, Rednecks, um, for a whole bunch of reasons, and one of the best things he's ever done. Uh, I think Kingfish on Good Old Boys also makes the list. Uh, from uh, Born Again, I'm, I, 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 it's money that I love. It's a great, great song. And then from um, um, Little, Little Criminals, uh, Baltimore is on my list of five. And I also will take uh, host privilege and say uh, one soundtrack note. If you've never seen Three Amigos... Randy Newman wrote a few songs for that for that movie, and I tell you what, "Blue Shadows on the Trail" is one of the finest songs ever written for film, and I'm not kidding. It is a fantastic song. So, go watch Three Amigos. Uh, Drop the clip in here right now, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff. All right. Well, the the two albums for me are twelve songs. It's like the really the first full flowering of Randy Newman's songwriting genius and his weirdness. And then, of course, the second one is Good Old Boys. Good Old Boys is just a masterpiece. We all agree on that. As for my five songs, if I had to pick one from twelve songs, I'm actually going to do a strange one, not a commercial one. I go with Suzanne. Suzanne, the best song about stalking ever written, uh, even better than Every Breath You Take by The Police. Um, <laughs> 
Then I'm going to move to Sail Away, the song that really actually introduced me to Randy Newman uh, from the start. And uh, we talked about what a wonderfully, uh, you know, you know, beautiful, painful, ambivalent song this truly is. Uh, Then I'll go with Rednecks scabrously funny um very difficult to talk about in any era not even now but back then there's no way this could have ever gotten played on the radio but it's it's randy newman at his incisive best uh my fourth song i'll say is from trouble in paradise it's real emotional girl it's you know him him and is is not working on some sort of sarcastic ironic or writerly level just a really really heartfelt portrait of a a person a a girl that we've all known at one time or another in our lives and then i guess i want to end with the the greatest song that randy newman ever recorded and uh, he ever wrote and that's louisiana 1927 um when the when the chorus when 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 the uh the strings and the chimes in the background swell up and, and randy's saying they're trying to wash us away they're trying to wash us away there's that you know that that helplessness that that sadness but also that that rate that hope that they're not going to wash us away that we're going to still be here we're going to remain here long after the waters have receded long after everything has flowed over us we're going to still be here where we were for years and years and years it, it's the finest song of his career for this week's episode matt murray he's the editor-in-chief for the wall street journal also author of the father and the son my father's journey into the monastic life at murray matt on twitter matt thank you for joining us once again thank you for having me back i really really enjoyed it jeff fine episode and uh fun for me to dig into the career of randy newman uh, it was it was a pleasure and i will see you next time however many weeks that is get healthy <laughs> Get your family healthy, my man. Yes, I will. I've been selectively muting every time I had to cough up a giant, <laughs> like, you know, lungful of sputum. At Esoteric CD for Jeff on Twitter. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Remember, subscribe to our feed for new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in, or right there at nationalreview.com. Listen, enjoy, share, please leave reviews. Also, uh, connect with us on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.